Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. You're listening to Pushing the Limits with Lisa Tarmati, your host. I have a fantastic guest again for you today. Gosh, I managed to come up with some amazing people. So I have to guest Dr. Colin Dombrowski, who is a podiatrist and expert on everything foot. He's known as the foot specialist. He is the author of two books, Healthy Strong Feet and The Plantar Fasciitis Plan. He's a researcher and also has a shoe, uh, a specialist running shoe shop. He knows everything about the cutting edge of foot health. So this is a topic that's really important, obviously, for all the runners listening out there, uh, or if you're having any sort of issues with your feet, maybe you're dealing with plantar fasciitis, maybe you have to have orthotics or you've got arthritis or you've got bunions or you've got problems with your Achilles or further up the the kinetic chain, then this is the episode for you because we're going to be talking about the cutting edge of science. Uh, Dr. Colin is really up on the latest thing, has all the fancy gadgets in his lab um, that he does. Um, And so it's a really, really interesting conversation that I have with Dr. Colin. Now, before we go over to the show, if you are also looking for uh, doing a running training plan that fits your life and without having to think about how to assemble the entire plan yourself, then please come and check out what we do at Running Hot Coaching. We have a brand new package that we now offer and it's fully customized package to you, to your goals, to your injuries, your lifestyle, um, anything that's holding you back and we can customize that to you and you'll also get full video analysis done with this package and a one-on-one consult with me in a personalized plan for your next event whether that be a marathon a half marathon ultra marathon 10k it doesn't really matter that's up to you and you get 12 months of access to running hot coachings uh whole resource library and all the other plans that are available on there so it's a super super deal you also get access to our community of over 700 runners from around the world that we get to coach nowadays and hang out with them. Um, And also we do do live events on occasion and do regular uh, educational webinars and so on. So everything running. If you want help with that, then we would love to help you uh, get and make the best out of your running. Okay, so check that out at runninghotcoaching.com. Right, over to the show now with Dr. Colin Dombrowski. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pushing the Limits. It's your host, Lisa Tamati here. And today I have Colin Dombrowski with me uh, all the way from Ontario in Canada. So welcome to the show, Colin. Fantastic to have you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's really, really exciting. So I am going to be talking to you today about feet. You are the foot guy. You are known as the foot guy. Colin, can you give us a bit of a brief background? Why are you known as the foot guy? Well, I mean, I'm a Canadian certified pedorthist, first and foremost. So I'm trained in both the design and the manufacture of custom foot orthotics, foot orthotics in general, footwear, and uh, lower extremity therapy care, and how those things interact to get people better. And so, you know, we started that back in 2002. And since then, I've gone on to do uh, PhD work in health and rehabilitation science. Uh, and research in everything from the basic, you know, 3D printings of orthotics to how the foot's actually moving in a shoe using things like bagplanar fluoroscopy and CT imaging to really understand what's actually going on, as opposed to just kind of guessing and thinking about it or looking at video without actually being able to see inside the shoe. 
And so we've wow. seen tens of thousands of patients. We've worked with people over the last 20 years, uh, really working to get them back up and on their feet and doing the things that they want to do to stay healthy. And yeah. for some people, it's as simple as walking around the block. And for other people, it's, it's going to the Olympics in Tokyo. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. So you're deep into the science at the absolute cutting yes. edge of of what you know what we can do now for for fit foot issues and 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 mm-hmm. optimizing foot health. So tell us a little bit about some of the fancy stuff that you can do. Like how like you said there you can you can look into the inside a shoe or right yeah. you know rather than just so, looking at video. How does that work? I'll, I'll tell you on the research side, there's all kinds of fancy stuff that, that we were able to do. Um, and so, you know, right now I have a, um, um, uh, an academic appointment through Western university in the, in the school of physical therapy. So I'm lucky enough to be able to do research in what I do specifically. Wow. So, and we can do that in a couple of different ways. One is that we actually have a, a full 3d motion analysis lab, um, at, at our main business in London, Ontario. So it's seven Vicon cameras, much like the way you would see motion analysis for, uh, video games or for the movies. Well, we use that wow. to study how the lower extremity works, um, in the human body. And so we can either put markers on the foot and cut windows into a shoe so we can see how things move. That's one way to do it. The other way that we've done it is working with another lab called the Wobble Lab, and they have two movie x-rays or what's called biplanar fluoroscopy. And um, then what we can do is have a a CT of somebody's foot. We can take those bones out. We can map them in three-dimensional space. And at 17 times per second, we can move that bone model on top of the actual movie x-ray model to understand what's happening to the foot and the bones in real time in a shoe under different circumstances, whether that's no orthotic, orthotic, and we can compare that to their walking barefoot uh, as well. That is insane, Colin. I had yeah, no it's, idea. It's a cool, it's a cool thing. And you know, if you, if you go on the website, if you go on I think we have a fluoroscopy video up on stuff about uh-huh. feet, uh, but if we don't, there's certainly one up on the research section of Soul Science, and you're able to actually watch. You can see what we're looking at through this thing, and wow. uh, it, it's really cool to know. And what, what's what's really interesting when we look at this stuff is that we wanted to know when we make somebody an orthotic, what's the best way to do that for someone? You know, yeah. there's different ways that we can capture somebody's foot, whether we use a foam or a wax method, uh, a wax method or a, you know, uh, a plaster mold of somebody's foot. We wanted to know kind of based on a couple of different styles, which one might actually control the motion of their foot a bit better. And we were able to show that one was more effective than another in a small amount with a very specific foot type. So if you have, if you have a flatter foot, there are ways of making it that are, are more effective. Um, but what was really interesting out of that was to look at what was actually happening with the foot when someone was just walking barefoot, when they were just walking in their shoe, or when we put an orthotic in there. Wow. Because you know, if I can go on a bit of a tangent, there's lots of scary stuff on the internet these days about how, oh, you don't want to walk in shoes and orthotics because it makes you act like you're walking in a cast. And why mm. would you want to do that? Mm. Well, what's really interesting is that when we looked at someone's foot walking barefoot and we compared that to the most supportive thing that we used, they still kept up to 96% of their original motion. Wow. So wow. think about that for a second. You know, 96% a lot of motion. 
Yeah. So you're really at that point, if someone's keeping that much of their original range of motion, you really have to wonder, you know, like, what are we actually doing with these things? Um, and, and I'm going to argue that it's more than just the shoe on someone's foot. It's more than just the device in that shoe that, you know, there, there could be a lot more actually going on with these things than we fully understand, even yep. though we have the best research methods to be able to, to look at it. Now that that's amazing. I mean, I'm really, really interested because, you know, with orthotics, um, I've recently gone and got my mum an orthotic and, and um, mm-hmm. you, you don't know my mum's story, but she had a massive aneurysm five years ago, has dropped foot on the right side, you know, oh, okay. incredible rehabilitation journey, written a book on it. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, her... We're not we're not having such success with the orthotic yet. Um, we're having success with Addictus, which is where it's helping lift her foot. Um, mm-hmm. And I've had in the past two experiences with orthotics when I've had different issues like, um, oh, I can't remember now what specifically, I think it was plantar fasciitis, and, and I've tried different things, admittedly a while ago, and things have obviously moved on. Um, but I haven't had that much success, so I'm like, mm, you know, uh, as a as a running coach, I should know more about the latest in science as far as orthotics go, and whether the, you know, um, my initial reaction back then was, well, I don't think orthotics are really working for a lot of people, you know. Um, that's been the feedback from other people as well. So obviously, the science has moved forward, and it is. Uh, offering new insights and you can actually see in real time what the bones are doing. I mean, that's just absolutely mental. That's crazy and cool. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you think it it is, so it isn't like walking around with a cast on your foot, you know, and and we've got this whole barefoot craze that's Mm -hmm. been in the last few years. And then we've got, you know, brands like Hoka one, one coming out with really cushions. So I think people are a little bit confused as to what the heck they should be doing. You know, so are orthotics good? You know, are orthotics in general? Can we generalize? It's very specific. Not at all. We can't generalize at all. And that's the problem when it comes to this stuff is that people are trying to fit everybody into a box and saying that either it's really good or it's really bad. Yeah. What's neither of those things? You know, like to the end of the day, if you really need them, if you have rheumatoid arthritis and you're unable to walk around the block and I'm able to get you active again, they're yeah. really good for you. Yeah, right. Absolutely. But if you have no risk factors, if you have no biomechanical abnormalities, if you have no foot deformities and no other issues, then then what's the benefit of wearing them, you know, at, at the end of the day? And so to, to that end of things, I, the, a lot of the time I feel as though we're missing the middle ground. You know, we're, we're missing the, the, the fact that people can use these things either as a tool to help them with recovery and performance that we can then work to, you know, wean them off if, if they so choose or if they need to be, or we use them because there's a real thing where structure dictates function and injury. Yeah. But again, why are we looking to see whether or not people are either yes or no, off or on? It's more of a continuum. And, you know, I kind of like to look at people in the fact that, you know, uh, over on this end of the spectrum here, you've got people who are so gifted biomechanically that they can do anything they want to do, despite doing it wrong. They can go couch to marathon in old, worn out shoes with poor sleep, (laughs) with bad nutrition, and they can do it and they don't get hurt. And you've got people on the other end of the spectrum that can do everything right and work with the best coaches and get the best equipment and eat and sleep and everything else. But they're plagued with injury. 
right? Most people are going to be somewhere in the middle. The question is, you know, which side of the spectrum do you lie more towards? And that's where I feel my job comes in, is to figure out, you know, where that is and then how to appropriately apply these things, whether or not you actually need them. And I built a business on telling people when they don't need them. That's brilliant. And and when they don't need them anymore. So it's actually quite shocking when someone comes into my office for their ninth, you know, orthotic and I say, well, you don't, you know, tell me about it. And so they, they, we talk about stuff and we come to the conclusion that they just don't need them anymore. And they're shocked. They think that these things are like a lifelong sentence and they're not. For some people, they are the difference between being able to be active or not. And for other people, they're simply a tool. And we use that tool appropriately and we remove it. That is absolutely gold, Colin, uh, and, and what a yeah. what a fantastic approach. Um, and you know, like working with people with disabilities and stuff, I know like there are definitely times when we do need them, and and they are going yeah. to benefit. And it is very much about the skill of the person who's fitting the orthotic and knows, you know, obviously what they're doing. Yeah. It, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of. Um, you know, advertising out there, rubbish sort of advertising that you see with different, you know, standard go and pick it off the shelf type things. Yeah. What's your opinion on those types of orthotics? And- well, I mean, if those, so if, if something like that, like if, it, if an over-the-counter device works for you, for let, let's say you have a mild case of metatarsalgia. Let, let's say you, you have a small ache in the front part of your foot you know, when you're active and you've done all the rest of the conservative therapy things, you're strong, you're flexible, you know, everything else is, is, is ticked off and you're still not doing well, sometimes removing that little bit of mechanical stress can be enough that it allows the tissues to heal and you can move on, right? So in those cases, yes, they work quite well. But in some cases, if you have a foot type that doesn't match up with that shaped plastic that's pushing against your foot, Mm-hmm. You know, it, it might not work so much. And, you know, kind of to your point where you were saying you had them for plantar fasciitis before and they just didn't work for you. Well, there could be a multitude of reasons mm-hmm. why they didn't work for you. And, you know, we see that all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, if someone's not getting the right kind of result, it could be that they just need to be adjusted. But then yeah. some people don't believe that they need to be adjusted. Yeah. They, they believe that your foot functions best one particular way. And they yeah. say, here, this is for you. This is the way it should be. Get used to it. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. yeah. and, then, and then there's the whole side of you should be doing strengthening exercises and rolling and stretching. What's your take on the whole on that side of it? So the rehabilitation side of it, as opposed to the orthotic side of the equation. Well, so my the way that we teach about orthotics is that orthotics for some conditions are not a first line treatment mm-hmm. unless you have significant risk factors. If you're diabetic, then yes, 100%, you know, we're making your orthotics. But, you know, for a lot of people, especially let, let's take plantar fasciitis, for instance. If you come to me and you've had plantar fasciitis only for a few weeks, mm-hmm. there is a whole host of other therapies that you can exactly. try before yeah. you even need to think about that. Is removing the stress off the tissue, the strain off the tissue with the device and footwear appropriate? Heck yes, it is. But there are other things that you need to look at first before you even, even go down the route of orthotics, which is actually why I wrote my first book. Mm-hmm. And it's to tell people the things that they can do at home to be able to get themselves better for four to six weeks before they have to see somebody like me to think about orthotics. Okay, so and what so, was the title of that book, Colin? Oh, it's called The Plantar Fasciitis Plan. 
The planner and so fasciitis plan, and that's available on Amazon. Amazon, okay. Yeah. So in New Zealand, yeah. we might struggle with Amazon, but um, we don't have Amazon down here, believe it or not. <laughs> we we, no we can access it, but some things can ship from from over there, and some not. So, so we'll, hmm. but we'll put the the links in the show notes for sure for for those listening yeah. who are uh, overseas um, and want to read that book. Okay, so. You mentioned the. Can I speak to your your, your last question, which was what do you think about the whole foot strengthening part of it? Yes. I think it's very important. I think that a lot of people have lost the the ability to connect with their brain and their feet, and they need to get that ability back. It's shocking how many people I see that can't do something as simple as move their toes or lift their arch or do some of the simple things that they need to do to make feet work as feet, right? And so, you know, getting them back to that, 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 that foot connection is is only a positive thing. Like the only good things are going to come out of that. So is this like, you know, is this a problem of the modern human because we've walked around in shoes, you know, did, did, did um, humans before shoes come along, did we all have great feet? Uh, you know, strong, powerful feet because we were barefoot from the get-go. Uh, so is this a problem of the modern human, a bit like, you know, with, I've just done a couple of episodes on breathing and the way that we are chewing is affecting our structure of our mouth and therefore we're not having such good breathing and and so on. Um, Is that a similar sort of case? I really think that when you talk to a question about that, it's, you know, it's really hard to compare those two things because we're just not there right now. Do you know what I mean? So yes, if we didn't wear clothes and we didn't drive cars and, you know, we didn't eat the way that we did, yeah, things would be different than, you know, where they are. But, you know, like we drive our cars to go uh, five blocks down the street to get a Starbucks. We don't yeah. walk. So, you know, that alone is just as, as deleterious as, you know, footwear that doesn't fit you properly. So, you know, when it comes to shoes, uh, again, there's lots of scariness out there on the internet the, the talking about how, you know, these things, again, make you walk like your cast or is deforming your feet. And, and yes, I would agree that a poorly fit shoes that are way too tight, cramming your toes, you know, putting stress on nerves and tissues certainly can be a bad thing for you. But do I think that there's this gigantic conspiracy out there that's making, you know, the collective <laughs> feet of the world less strong and everything else? No, I, I, I really don't. Um, you know, to that, to that end. And again, as, as a recovery tool, they can be marvelous things if done correctly. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good approach. I mean, I, um, it reminds me of like my dad's feet. Um, my dad, who recently passed unfortunately, but my dad had the most amazing, strong, powerful feet. He grew up in the first 13 years of life and not wearing shoes um, mm-hmm. came from a very um, humble background with, you know, um, eight children and, and they only had one pair of gum boots in the family. So <laughs> he, he um, grew up with these incredibly powerful feet. Uh, by the time he was, um, you know, in his 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s, like he could walk around barefoot all day, never have any sort of problems. Uh, the state of his heels weren't the best, <laughs> but m- muscular feet, like really strong, powerful feet because he didn't wear shoes until he was, you know, older and then still liked to go barefoot whenever possible, actually connected to the earth. So we'd garden all day and, and bare feet and, 
at the most jandals. Um, <laughs> uh, so I did see it in that, um, you know, quite the effects of having that real connection to Mother Earth, if you like, and, and developing those sort of strong muscles um, in, in our feet. And then on the other side of the equation, I see um, people with, uh, you know, diabetics or close to being pre-diabetic, um, problems with extremely tender feet and uh, poor circulation in the feet and their feet are just not moving well and they've always been in shoes. So it's like, you know, opposite ends of the of the, the scale there. Um, <clears throat> so where was I going with this? I, 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 you know, there's, real, there's a real broad range of where people are at. Um, Another thing that I think is is to consider is, you know, women in high heel shoes. What's your take on on that sort of a problem? Like, you know, we're lifting your, your heels up and having a shortened calf and that's and that sort of a problem. Well, and I mean that that for too long of a period of time just gives you a whole myriad of problems, you know, from from you know metatarsalgia and and progressing bunion issues and you know nerve problems and you know chronically short Achilles because you know because of that shortening specifically. Yes, I mean we see that all the time. You know, I'm I'm very much a fan of of moderation. You know, when it comes to these things, and so for a lot of my patients, if they want to spend you know an evening every now and again where they're primarily sitting in a pair of heels then, you know, I, I feel as though the, the, the trade-off for, for what they get out of that is, yeah. is okay comparatively. Again, it's, it's not putting everything into a box of good or bad, mm-hmm. you know, um, like but it's, it. it's, it's looking at it holistically. Brilliant. I think that's, that's mm-hmm. a really good if, approach. <laughs> yeah. If you're a retail worker and you're spending 10 hours a day on your feet, heels are definitely not the thing you want to be wearing. Yeah, you've got yeah. to sacrifice the elegance, ladies. Sometimes your health is a little more important. bit. Sometimes, <laughs> and you know, you know where I end up seeing that a lot is in lawyers. Uh, right. A lot of my patients who are lawyers, you know, there is definitely a culture of uh, dress code yes. and um, you know a professionalism that comes from wearing heels. And um, you know, I see a lot of a lot of injured lawyers <laughs> because wow. of that specifically. Isn't that interesting? So, yeah, Mm -hmm. really take heed because I do think, you know, doing that on a daily basis, yeah, the odd night out in a pair of heels, you know, to look elegant is fine, but not doing it every single day where you're really shortening. I mean, just I'm I'm always sort of relating things back to my life, but um, with mum having uh, aneurysm being, um, you know, uh, bedridden pretty much for 18 months before we could get her standing, and I didn't understand at the beginning about drop foot, I missed mm-hmm. the boat, um, and by the time I'd realised what drop foot was, mm-hmm. uh, that that had happened very, very quickly. That that her yeah. foot was now, you know, dropping. So we're still working on that to to you know right till now to be able to lift that front of the foot up and having to use a, a dictus in her case, which which lifts the the front of the foot up. Um, so it happens very, very. It happens quicker than what you think. It doesn't it can, it? certainly, yeah. 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 Yep. Now the the brace that your mom's using. Do you mind if I ask you a quick question? Yeah, Which uh, is she using like a, an over the counter one or a custom one? Uh, so it's so an over the counter dictus one. Is, I didn't know okay. there was such a thing as a customized dictus. Um, and so it's just a, a, a you know leather uh, strap that goes around with a rubber that goes over. So there's two little hooks at the bottom of her shoes that pulls mm-hmm. the shoe up. So is there, is there something better, Colin? <laughs> well, so, you know, just, just take a look for something called an Allard uh, toe-off AFO. 
And we use them a lot in clinic for patients with drop foot. And they're actually designed to be to run marathons in and things. And wow. um, they're quite robust and um, okay. you know, might, might be a great, uh, great training tool too. They're very light. They're, you should wear them under a pair of pants. Uh, a lot of people like the fact that they don't see that they're wearing a brace. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're quite. This one's quite ugly. So, is it Allard? A L, yeah, A L L A R D. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Oh, well, well, yeah. So, it's an Allard toe off. Allard toe off. I will check that out. See, this is yeah. a selfish reason why I get to talk to experts. From there we go. All the world, because you never know when it's going to help somebody you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'll check that one out. Um, yeah, because that is a real problem. And there's a, so many, uh, you know, this is not a rare thing, drop foot. It's a very, very common thing with people with strokes and aneurysms and, and the is. like. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people dealing with it, you know, so going into the rehabilitation side of, of things, we have a shoe that has a rocker. So she's able to tow off slightly better mm-hmm. in that rocker and keep her center Good. of mass moving forward, um, rather than sitting, you know, really back, which she, she was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I'm always looking for the next best thing for my mum for sure. So yeah. <laughs> appreciate right that. On. No problem. (laughs) And since you're a runner and all that stuff, the ASICS Metaride, you know, is my favorite carbon shoot rocker. Um, You know, we've got so many people who really require surgery, fusions, things like that, because of osteoarthritic toes or ankles or midfeet that can get into a shoe like that. And, you know, for people who are that age, they're not nearly as flashy looking as some of the other carbon rocker shoes that are available. Yeah, but who cares as long as they function properly. Yeah. Okay, Essex <laughs> Meteorite. Okay, we'll check those yep. ones out too. No problem. Uh, so now let's let's jump ship, uh, change direction a little bit um, um, and go into running specific injuries. So we we, we did touch uh, briefly on plantar fasciitis, but what are some of the the common uh, injuries that you see, and what are some of the ways that we can prevent? And how does it have a knock on effect? Like what happens in your feet knocks on up the kinetic chain, doesn't it? So, of course, yeah. yeah. So what I take a look at the the one of the biggest things are going to be mismatches between the style of foot that somebody has and their mechanics and the kind of shoe they wind up getting into. Uh-huh. And so there's nothing like being able to mismatch the way that your foot wants to move. And then a shoe that's going to either work completely, you know, and, and uh, um, pushing it in the, in the same direction. So for instance, if you're a supinator where your foot rolls to the outside, and then you get into an anti-pronation shoe, which, you know, a lot of people, there's actually been research to show that runners are poor judges of their own foot type. Right. Um, and if they get into that kind of footwear that makes them into more of a supinator, um, I can't tell you how many, how many you know, uh, wow. lateral column foot pain problems we see and peroneal overuse problems and things like that. So simply mismatching your footwear to what your foot is doing um, can, be, can be one of them. Okay. Um, Getting so buying off the shelf is not, and, and diagnosing yourself is probably not a good idea if you're a serious runner who wants to do, you know, some serious racing. Well, I mean, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a good idea to to run your findings by someone else who can take an objective third party look at you, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, some people think, oh, my foot is so flat, I need to get into this kind of footwear, um, and that might not always be the case. You know, uh, when, when when it comes down to it. So the, the footwear component of it is, is so big, making sure that it actually fits the way that your foot is designed. So if you have a particularly wide forefoot and a narrower rear foot, looking for things that actually match up with that so that you're not cramming your toes into a pair of shoes. Um, 
as a, as a run coach, if I can just pipe in there, that that has been one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen. Um, so many athletes buy, they go into a shoe shop that does you know foot analysis, and they see them on the treadmill and so on. So they may have the right type of shoe, but they're often buying the shoe in a cold state. So i.e., they've just walked into a shop, they haven't been on their feet all the all day, they haven't been running for thirty k's their feet are not swollen and then they go and if they're doing marathons or especially ultra marathons, their feet are swelling. And especially I've seen this in women um, uh, where we tend to swell our tissues in my, my opinion, not, not, you know, scientifically backed or anything, but my, my observation is that women's feet swell more than men and, um, they the, the the size of the shoe is then way too small, especially in the in the toe box, and this often leads to uh, pain in the top of the foot and the cutting off of circulation there. And um, I've seen uh, problems then with the shins um, and so on. Have you is that a thing? You know, have you seen this sort of a trend as well, where they're going into the shop and it's fitting in the shop on the day that they buy it, but when they're long distance runners. That becomes a problem, especially when 100%. they're running in heat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fatigue is one of those things that wrecks everything. You know, yeah, yeah, so true. at the end of the day, when when you when you're not fatigued and you you know take a pair of shoes and you're trying it on, you don't know how you know the inside of your ankle is going to rub against that shoe until you've spent 30, 40, 50 k in it yeah. to really understand what's happening there. So the idea that something is going to you know break in in quotation marks is something that I like to try to shy away from as much as I possibly can. You know, the the biggest issue that we see from most people is they just fit them incorrectly, right? They fit them yeah. too short, you know? Um, and so if things do swell, if you, if there's movement, any of that stuff, you're going to get, you know, problems along with the feet, whether it's friction and blisters or black toenails or, you know, what, what have you, yep. Um, yep. you know, the, the length of that. And then especially the curve of the toes makes such a big difference. And so, a lot of footwear stores these days might not carry the full breadth of width available. Yeah. And so, you know, for instance, New Balance, um, you know, comes in ladies from a 2A to a 2E and everything else in between. Wow. Um, so, you know, it comes in a 2A and a B and a D and a 2E. So when you have to carry four widths of shoes from a size five to a size 13. That's expensive. <laughs> including half sizes, that's expensive. And that's only for one color. Wow. Right. Oh, so wow. when you think about that, you understand why you might not be able to find the full yeah. breadth of, of, of width in a lot of these things, because shoe stores will have a hard time selling through. And if they can't, they can't make money and stay open. No. So, you know, um, but if you're if you're one of those people that are on either end of the spectrum, then you need to find a place that will cater towards those kinds of things and that understand the, the nuances and the differences within brands. So, I mean, I've seen people go up a full size in between different models of shoes within the same brand of a company. Wow. So for instance, you know, the New Balance 880 and the New Balance 840 fit completely different. Correct. You know, the, the, the sock liner is three times as thick. The, the, the width is more, the, you know, the toe spring is different. The, the, the heel drop is different, all of that stuff. And if you don't know how each one of those things interact with someone, then the potential for injury is, is just greater. Wow. And, and yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, you know, having had, I've had, you know, many um, different sponsorship agreements over my career and, and some of the, the companies, you know, a couple of them, I had to actually leave because I just could not wear their shoes, you know, and they right. were so different and other ones that I just absolutely yeah. loved and, and, you know, were able to stick with. Um, and, uh, 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 you know, I've got a very wide foot 
and so uh, I have to be in a man's shoe. And like when I'm doing, when I was doing, uh, you know, desert races and extreme heat and Death Valley and the likes, I had shoes that were two sizes too big for me. So wow, that's what I worked out was the the, the sweet spot. So um, at that point, I wouldn't get the blisters and I wouldn't get the black toenails and I wouldn't get the um, we, you know, the foot just 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 swelling so much that it's bursting out the sides of the shoes, you know, and putting pressure on sure. the top of the foot and causing. Um, and I've had all you know awful um, shin problems by having that that circulation cut off at the top of the foot. Um, mm-hmm. I remember a race I did in Germany, three hundred and thirty eight kilometres, and in five days we had to do it. So we were doing seventy kilometres a day, and uh, after day one, my shoes were. Um, just way too tight and by then the damage was done and and an old timer who was in the race said to me hey you need to cut your socks and open your shoes right up and and that was a piece of advice that I carried with me then from then on because uh, and I ended up doing that very often so even something like a pair of socks that is too tight around the ankle can cause shin problems I mean I've experienced that um, you know firsthand um, and on the top of the foot as well. So it really makes a heck of a difference, doesn't it? Oh, it so does. And, you know, when you're looking into trail shoes and things like that, the, the choices become even more restrictive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's talk trail because what trail, <clears throat> you know, we, we weren't as humans like, you know, we didn't evolve to run on concrete and paths. So what's your take on how bad is it to be running on roads and concrete uh, versus the the natural terrain of a of a trail, so to speak. Well, I mean, certainly the natural terrain of the trail is going to be easier for you to run on versus concrete and asphalt and, and and those types of things. And you know, when we look to the literature and some of the research, that there's been a lot of fun, you know, running research that's come out in the last fifteen years. But a lot of our initial contact strategies, so whether you strike on your heel, your midfoot, or your forefoot, a lot of it has to do with mitigating the force of that initial contact. And Mm -hmm. so if you're running on an incredibly hard surface, you might adapt to changing your initial contact to be able to mitigate those, those loads of of that initial load. Whereas when you have a softer, spongier surface to do on, you have a bit more leeway to be able to, to strike in in a, in a different pattern. And so, you know, for people who are rehabbing from injuries, yeah, getting into something that's a little bit spongier is certainly going to be more forgiving. Now, you can take that all the way to running on the beach and, you know, that, that you know, causing some problems as well, just mm. from the, the increased biomechanics that that causes too. So, you know, it gets back to my point where, where moderation. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's, it, a, there's a time well, to spend time in the sand and there's a time to spend time in the trail and uh, there's time to get on the road. And there's tra- transition times, you know, like when, when the barefoot craze hit, when my friend Chris McDougall's book came out, Born to Run, and mm-hmm. it sort of, you know, revolutionized the, everybody's thinking was like, we've all got to go barefoot because, you know, barefoot Ted was doing it. Um, and mm-hmm. we saw a lot of injuries come out uh, of that. And, you know, no, no, no detriment on the book. It was a fantastic book. Um, but people just went too fast, you know, too far, too fast. And, and um, we really need a transition time if we're wanting to go barefoot. Would you agree with that? Oh, I, it's not a matter of me agreeing with it. That, that's just a matter of scientific fact. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if you want to go from which, so I, I do agree with it, <laughs> but, you know, to, to that end, yes, there's nothing that's going to increase your risk of getting hurt more than, you know, taking off your footwear and going for a barefoot run. Um, you know, if, if you're used to wearing a, you know, a, a maximalist style of shoe, 
um, taking it off and going barefoot for 21K, you know, you'll be lucky if you don't come back with a stress fracture. Wow. And um, certainly my, my practice has been a mirror of that, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I see injured runners all day, every day. Um, that's, that's what I do. So, you know, I like to joke that the greatest predictor of running injuries is running. But to that, to, to that end, um, you know, if you want to make these changes, uh, I think they're great for people. And I think that they're able to make these changes in, in a proper informed way, you know? And so even looking to, to what some of the scientific literature says, they talk about a transition shoe specifically, right? If you're going to go from a, a regular 10 or 12 mil heel drop shoe yeah. to a four or a zero, <laughs> you know, having a six to eight mil transition shoe wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. You know, there's one company that will remain nameless that when they changed their, all their heel heights from 12 mil to eight mil, and no one really understood what that meant. Oh, I can't tell you yeah. the number of Achilles problems and things that came into the clinic for the, the wow. two years after that. Wow. Uh, because making even that four millimeter change in someone who puts in 60 to 80 kilometers a week and they're yeah. used to loading their tissues in a particular way, when you all of a sudden change that, with up to three times your body weight, up to 10,000 steps, that's a huge change for your body all of a sudden. Wow, that is, that is insane, just to, just from a very small change. And like we all, you know, lots of people just swap different shoes. Oh, I'll try those ones. Oh, this time I'll buy yeah. those. And, you know, exactly. um, <laughs> so is it, it, and this is the other thing, brands keep changing. <laughs> yes. Like that, Every like season. that example, when it's like, <laughs> oh, damn yep. It's something that was perfect and now it's gone again. Yep. I can't get it. So buy a couple of pairs when you do get something that's right. Um, 100%. But even that, don't let, it, don't, don't let them sit on the shelves for more than two years. Oh, okay. Well, is, is, do they degrade after that sort of they Actually, the, the, the materials get stiff. Um, wow. the longer you leave them there. And so, you know, that mm. pair that felt really cushy a couple of years ago, you let them sit for a couple of years. They're going to be harder when, oh, you, when, when you take them out of the box. Oh, okay. Yeah. And That's so you, a- you can't you can't just let them sit for years uh, uh, on a shelf. And 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 to that note, um, uh, how many kilometers? You know, like how often should you be changing? Well, I've always said between six and sort of eight hundred kilometers max. What's your take on that? Is there new science around that? Um, the science is, is, is interesting when it comes to that. I mean, there isn't a lot of actual hard science on that. The soft science of it is to look at the bottoms of your shoes, you know, uh, uh, and see, you know, if you're a heavier person, uh, at your initial contact, and I don't mean heavy, like actually just, you know, a larger BMI, but you know how some people, my wife is, 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 is a light woman, but she sounds like she's going to come through the floor, two floors <laughs> down when she walks. And so she'll wear out the, the, the outsole of a shoe much faster than somebody who strikes the ground a little bit lighter. And so if you look at the bottoms of your footwear and let's say you're only 400 K into a pair of shoes, but there's an angle now where the lugs are totally sheared off, you know, one side, that shoe wow. is now forcing you to walk that way. And it's not helping your balance at all. And so, yes, I think as a, as a general, as a general rule, you know, six to 800 kilometers is okay. But if you're not, if you're training on consecutive days and if you're training in one pair of shoes, you're going to break down the EVA material much faster because that material needs about 36 hours to rebound fully before it's ready to go again. But if you're training 24 hours, you're going to break down your shoe much faster. Well, that's a good, I knew that and I'd forgotten that fact. Uh, thanks for reminding me of that because <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, alternating shoes on different days is something that I, I used to say and i've forgotten forgotten completely about that one so that's a really good point um so having a couple of pairs of shoes on the go is a really really good idea 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you know, to that end too, what we were talking about with transition shoes and whatnot, having them even at different heel heights for different types of uh, of running uh, would also be great. I mean, so like what you're doing a fartlek training in or a tempo run or a long day might be different than what your race shoe is or you know the 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 all day everyday shoe. And so that little bit of variability, I think, is a really positive thing. You know, when when you get locked into one movement pattern all the time, then, you know, your body comes to predict that. And if you can get that little bit of variability where, you know, you're lengthening some days, you're shortening some days, you're doing different things and your body is used to that, then you're going to be more adaptive. But if you lock into that one pattern, it's going to be so much harder to change. That that seems to be the thing for Everything in biology, Colin, there seems to be a push and pull and a variety. You know, you don't want to starve for too long. You don't want to eat too much for too long. You don't want to be too cold or in the thermoneutral zone for too long. You want the body wants variety change, you know, not the same diet every day, not the same everything every day. And just by varying things up, we're giving our body a chance to to get what it, it, it needs and to have that variation, that push and pull, that biology in, in all levels that I'm look, look, looking at is, seems to be, you know, cycling things, cycling diet, cycling supplements, cycling your shoes, cycling, uh, changing mm-hmm. in variety keeps the body guessing and keeps it changing and keeps it so it doesn't go, oh, I've got, all, I've got this and it's, and it's a piece of cake. Actually, a, 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 a thought just popped in my head. What do you think of Kipchoge's shoes? You know, the sub two hour marathon. Uh, oh yeah, shoes. yeah. I mean, wow. There, I mean, this this is a fun time <laughs> to be alive when you're a footwear <laughs> nerd like myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's some really cool stuff that Nike's doing uh, in in some of their in some of their footwear, and they're they're I mean one of the one of the leaders. But I mean, every, everyone now is coming out with a carbon plated shoe and really aggressive rockers, and you know a lot of this stuff from a performance standpoint. And it'll be interesting to see how it's controlled and how it's governed and, and, you know, to what lengths can we, can we go to, to be able to, to increase the performance of humans. Um, you know, we, we developed things like oxygen deprivation to be able to increase your red blood cell count, to be able Absolutely. to increase your performance. Um, you know, changes in footwear like this are not, you know, dissimilar from that. It's just a question of how much can we use them Yeah, uh, and, and, and how does it work mean? with you? Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah and, and what's going to be legal. And at the yeah. moment it is, isn't it? Like it's, um, it is. Yeah, and I've and I had a uh, a friend um, uh, who's a holistic movement coach I had on the show actually a few weeks ago talking about feet mm-hmm. as well, um, yep. the health of feet, and and he said I didn't want to like those Kipchoge shoes, but I because he he's very much into barefoot when possible and developing strength in the feet. Uh, he said, but I put well, these that on. Certainly, is the opposite. Yeah, he said, I, <laughs> I, 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 I have to admit, I ran a hell of a lot faster in them and I'm sold. Sure. <laughs> yep. But so, again, but that, that comes back to the point of moderation, right? Is that, yep. that you know, there, there's, a, there's a time for that shoe, just like there's a time to be barefoot yep. and uh, it, it's using it in the, in the appropriate fashion. Wow, that's brilliant. And uh, okay, let, let's talk about uh, you, you, the knock-on effect of how, how the, the, the feet, which have and you you know this you know hundred times better than me. There's just a ton of nerves, a ton of bones. This most complex structure that we have, the proprioception and the connection between the brain is just uh, so important that we actually have that 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 neurofeedback from our feet. Um, mm-hmm. So, what sort of effects do uh, our you know what what sort of things can we expect to have happen on a good side from proprioception when we're doing uh, lots of activity and we're, we're doing lots of different movement types and varieties of training. Um, 
And, you know, how does that help our brain? You know, the brain-foot connection, I think, is what I'm trying to ask you here. Well, I mean, anything that's going to make you more aware of what your foot's doing in space is, again, only going to be a positive, both from a balance and, and, and a performance perspective. You know, it's it's striking to me that I can see some people perform incredible feats of athleticism, but then can't balance on one foot to do a pistol squat. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, because they just don't have control over their ankle. And so when people think of their feet, that's one thing. But I mean, the actual foot itself, though, those deep intrinsic layers of muscles are more stabilizers than they are prime movers, right? The prime movers are going to be higher up in the leg. And the tendons of those larger muscles in the leg support the ankle, right? They're the, they're the ones that the tibialis posterior and the peroneals and the things that actually wrap around the ankle. So it's a matter of looking at the lower leg holistically, not just the foot itself. Yes, those little foot muscles are important, but, but you know, I think oftentimes some of the higher stuff up is, is overlooked as well yeah. as the actual prime movers and the actual real, you know, good stabilizers that way, because those things are going to, are, are going to fatigue out relatively fast. And then you're left with the larger muscles to be able to do some of those things. Um, but when you're not, when, when you're not paying attention to one of those two, then you're going to get a mismatch in balance and performance. And so it's a matter of being able to, to look at it more, you know, it's a matter of being able to, you know, use your abductor halysis appropriately, uh, being able to, you know, use all of those intrinsics to raise up your arch a bit and reduce some strain in your plantar fascia. You know, uh, I would never go as far as saying you're going to change the structure of your foot by making your foot muscles strong, but certainly you're going to, to get a better grip on the ground and you're going to be able to use your feet like feet and not just like a meat slab that hit the ground to be able to get to the next step. Yeah. And, and is, is it a bit like, you know, like if I was to go around with gloves all day and I wouldn't have the dexterity that I would need to do typing and, you know, all the, you know, play an instrument or anything like that. You know, is that what's happening with our shoes when we're in shoes all day, every day, we're just taking away that connection to the brain and the brain's ability to be able to make those subtle adjustments with those little so tiny you know, muscles if, and everything. You can look at it two different ways, right? Because I mean, one might say that yes, if if you're barefoot and you know you've got skin on the ground, you are going to get a different sensation than if you have sock and then something else between you and the ground, right? You're you're there's just there's a different feedback when it comes to it. But to say that you know putting footwear on reduces your 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 proprioception or your sensation completely is a bit of a misnomer because if you have something that's let's say a little bit squishier and your foot's moving around a bit more. Well, that, that's also a signal to your brain too, in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, where to fire muscles and how to fire muscles and, and using those muscles, you know, uh, uh, on top of it. So I think we can go in, in both directions. Um, and again, there, there's a time when, when it's going to be appropriate and there's a time when you want to be barefoot and getting that, that sensory input in, in just a different fashion, you know, um, to say, because at the end of the day, I just don't think it's, it's realistic in the society that we live in that we're not yeah, going no. to the, you know be, be out of it completely and, you know and so yeah yeah so it's it's a matter of figuring out how to do that uh in, in a fashion that's most appropriate given the circumstances um that you you find yourself in a, a bit of a left field question and a bit of a non-scientific well oh well there's probably stuff coming out now what's your take on having though the connection to you know mother earth and grounding and and that type of thing and being you know in the dirt so to speak and, and having that actual contact with the earth 
Is there anything to that side of of of, of things, or is there just nothing, no scientific data really around that? Uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at the end of the day. And from a from a data and a science standpoint, I'm the first one to tell you that I'm not 100% up on that. But I, yeah. I, I was listening to uh, another podcast. I think it was Ben Greenfield recently. Yeah, who was talking Ben's. about some of yeah 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 same. Um, yeah, some of the science around that specifically, and I believe that there might be some science that's come out. I just haven't read it to be able to be up yeah. uh, and on it to be a hundred percent honest with you. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I've, I've heard, you know, various things and even like, you know, getting your hands in the dirt and gardening and how much of a good effect that can have on your, your, uh, your, your body and your mind and your, your yep. mood and, and things like that. And I mean, yep. we, we are in, in science starting to actually see, you know, why is it important to go out and have early morning sunlight and circadian rhythms and all of these sorts sure. of things and connection sure. to the ground and the effects of mm-hmm. EMFs. And, and I don't think we're there, there with, yeah, with all the science, but um, uh, my take is on it is that, yeah, go out and spend 10 minutes a day with your hands in the dirt and, you know, connect with the ground. And, and if nothing, the 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 being in nature is definitely going to calm you down and make you feel better. Um, 100%. Yeah, Yeah. so that's what I really think. Um, uh, Okay, so just looking at some most common uh, running injuries before we sort of wrap up there, Colin, Mm -hmm. um, if we can look at like plantar fasciitis and perhaps Achilles um, and calf muscle injuries um, and and perhaps knees, (laughs) that's a big thing to cover in a few minutes, isn't it? We might (laughs) need a second podcast. We could do a podcast on each one of those, actually. Well, actually, I think I will be getting you on because your knowledge is next next level. Um, Oh, thank you. So let's talk a little bit about, say, Achilles. That's one of, that's a sure. very common problem. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It really, really is. Um, and, and Achilles is a difficult one, you know. Um, uh, again, depending on where things are at and, and what we you know, whether it's insertional or mid portion, um, there are definitely are two different protocols when it comes to it. So from the physio side, you know, whether you do eccentric loading, which is, you know, raising up on two feet, lowering down on one, or whether you're doing a, you know, a, a different kind of strengthening program, that really is sort of the physio side of, you know, that, that end of it, um, where I tend to come in on that um, and, and where I tend to see a lot of you know, Achilles injuries are people who wind up changing the drop of their shoe too quickly. Yeah. And so they're used to running uh, in something that's either too low or too high, and they make it a, an abrupt sudden change, uh, or they change their running style too quickly. Oh, wow. So it's very common to see people who, who, you know, are heel strikers who, who want to try forefoot running for the mm-hmm. first time. And mm-hmm. if they do it improperly, you know, um, when, when you load the ground with your heel, I mean, yes, we know that if you overstride breaking forces and everything else are really bad for you and smashing your heel into the ground might not be ideal for everybody. But if you're running on your forefoot, you're striking your initial contact is with your forefoot. Then you touch your heel. Then you push off your forefoot again, right? So one mm-hmm. is heel midfoot toe. One is forefoot heel forefoot. And so to that end, you're going through a much larger cycle of Achilles loading. Uh-huh. Uh, and so for some people, especially who, you know, if you were talking about genetics earlier, we know that there is a genetic predisposition for some people for Achilles issues specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're one of those people, then then that can certainly be a bad thing if you do it too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um and so to that end, we talk about, you know, the very first thing we do is, is deload the Achilles. So using things like heels, heel lifts and footwear to be able to, for a short period of time, take some of that load off the Achilles, allow it to heal, yep. uh, and then gradually reload it as they've been working with their physio to be able to gain back strength and mobility and everything else. Um, you know, 
the one thing that I like to look in everybody who comes through my clinic, because I think it's so incredibly important, is their ability to move their ankle appropriately because their calf musculature is flexible enough. Yeah. Um, and I'll get into trouble there because some people are saying, it's not coming from your calf, it's coming from your hip. It can be coming from your hip. You know, certainly if you have, you know, things that are changing your pelvic tilt and it's lengthening your, your hamstring and it's doing that. And, and then you're getting the effective change that comes with it. It's a matter of just looking at it to understand where that change is coming from. But any ankle restriction in your range of motion can make you use your Achilles in a different way. The, the simplest way for your body to compensate for that is to out-toe and pronate more. Well, you're going to get a rotational stress on your Achilles. For some people, that's just going to be too much wow. combined with the kind of you know, st- uh, uh, running program that they're doing. And so, you know, one thing to think about for sure. Wow. And, and you know, like, this is, um, you, you know, like you, you're, you're a foot specialist, but you also need to have a really good understanding of the whole anatomy of the body, really, don't you? Because you, you have to be a holistic yep. in your approach because, and then this is one of the issues that I have with medical, with the medical world in general now speaking is, is that it's so siloed, you know? The, if yes. you've got a lung problem, you go to the lung specialist or the pulmonary. If you go to, if you've got a heart, you know, and then, and the ear, nose and throat are separate and yet it's to do with your lungs. You know, like we need to have a, a holistic look at, at systems in the body or the, or the, not even systems, but the entire body. So everybody oh, yeah. has to have a, and, and that's difficult because you have to have a specialized education in feet. You know, you can't be an expert in feet and an expert in, in hips. Um, yes. Yeah. But, but you do need a general education and be able to uh, understand what the roles of the other uh, therapists or doctors or whatever is in, in order to have a, a good understanding. And I think that that, you know, that that, that holistic approach uh, where possible and, and the inter sort of disciplinary communication is, is really, really important. Um, would you would you agree with that? Oh, I mean, that's the only way that I work is multidisciplinary. And so, you know, if there's one specialist that thinks that they can fix everything, then that usually makes me want to run away screaming. (laughs) And because, you know, there there just isn't enough flexibility in your thinking to understand that, like, maybe what you're doing won't be enough for somebody. And uh, again, can't tell you the number of people that come in to say, oh, I've seen my ex-specialist who said, there's nothing else that can be done. Yeah. We get them back running within six weeks. Do you know what I mean? It's it's only because we were flexible enough in our thinking to be able to say, yeah, we're going to change this little thing over here. That might be the thing that's going to get you back to what you want to be doing. Um, And so... I could yeah, go on a rant on that. Really, I could um, go on a rant about you know yeah, the amount of times too. that people have been told you can never run again. You know, I was told I would never run, and when I broke my back yeah. when I was a young lady, and uh, you know they were wrong. Seventy thousand kilometres later, <laughs> yep. And, and if I'd left it up to uh, so-called experts, you know, who with my mother who had a massive brain aneurysm five years ago, and who said they would ne- she'll never have any quality of life again. She's got massive brain damage. Um, they were wrong. I spent five years rehabilitating her, but they were wrong, and she's completely normal again. Um, yeah. You know, so I'm not just accepting what I, what I think is is important to realize is the limitations of your knowledge and saying, hey, I don't know. I'm at the end of yes. my 
abilities. Um, you might have to look somewhere else or outside the square or try something else that to go and it. talk to so and so. You know, and, yep. and and that's fine. You know, that's that's good if we if we mm-hmm. if we get that, but not um, blanket saying, well, you can never run again because you've got a knee injury. Like, the amount of times, the amount of runners who've come, oh, the doctor said I should never run again because I've got some slight knee problem. It's like really. Yep. <laughs> Oh, I agree. So uh, case in point in my own life, I have uh, congenital arthritis. That's so bad. I had my first hip reconstruction at 17. That left me with a wow. four centimeter leg length discrepancy. So, you know, I've got some real orthopedic problems Gosh, yes. and, uh, you know, was racing, you know, mountain bike at, at, at almost the pro level um, in Canada and downhill at the time. And, you know, wanted to pursue that and was told, you know, never ride a bike again, this kind yeah. of stuff. And you know, I'll be doing a half Ironman in Muskoka in, in July. Wow. You know? I love it. Um, 25 it. years later, you know, exactly. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the day, way around the problem. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you, you know, your limits, better yeah. than somebody else but i think that there's also a time when you do need to re- you know respect the knowledge that someone's gone and and spent time attaining but if if they'll put aside all of your own you know expectations and and things then they're not doing you a a, a good service no no and you know sometimes they're wrong and they're just not up you know what i'm also seeing and we're getting off on a tangent here but is <laughs> a, is a is a, a, a if it's you know, like there's different, there's definitely a 20 year lag between what's actually the latest in science and what's actually happening in clinical practice. Um, yeah, not so, so much in, in, in the area like you, you are, but say in things like critical care and, and things like this, it's just so far behind the eight ball because there's so many hoops that they have to jump through in order to get anything changed um, that the science can be saying, hey, this is what you need to be doing. And they'll be like, yeah, we need another 20 years before we adopt it. You know, yeah, and that's knowledge the, translation is difficult. Yeah, yeah. it just it it really seems is. to be this huge lag in, in, in some areas of medicine. But I've gotten completely off topic. But I love talking <laughs> with people that are, you know, um, on the cutting edge of stuff. And, and I find uh, you, your, your, your knowledge is absolutely next level. Colin, I think we're going to have to get you back because we didn't even get to plantar fasciitis and hips and knees and, you know, all the rest of it. And um, oh, know, I'd love to. Yeah, what you're doing. So uh, before we wrap it up, um, where can people find out your books? And and obviously you've said on Amazon, but give us your websites and your where people can follow you on Instagram and all that sort of good stuff. So we're just starting to build out a website called stuffaboutfeet.com. So that's probably the best part to you know, best place to get me right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll be able to see some of the books that are on there, you know, other podcasts that I've done, you'll watch some videos, uh, and, and that's going to be built up just more and more and more over the coming weeks and months. And you know, through that site, you'll be able to get to me, whether it's a personal email or you know, you want to get on the socials or you know, what what have you. Um, and so I, I've been kind of locked away in both the research lab and the clinic office for for too many years. And now we're going to get me a bit more online and, and doing a few more of these Brilliant. things. Yep, yep. And you're so talented at this uh, interviewing and stuff. So it's, it's really easy to be able to share your knowledge and to get it out there. And then you can have much more of a massive impact worldwide rather than just locally, which is fantastic, you know, that we Thank can you. do that now with technology. So I love getting, you know, world leading people on the show and sharing their amazing insights and you know you you definitely right up there Colin so thank you very very much for sharing your insights today so stuffaboutfeet.com was the right place to go Um, and that you've been listening to Colin Dombrowski Colin any last words that you would like to share with people out there 
you know, I, I really hope at the end of the day that you use your your knowledge the best to be able to get out there and do the things that you want to do, you know, and, and don't put yourself in a box. Really understand that you're capable of the things that you think that you are. It's just a matter of figuring out how to do them appropriately. Yeah. And getting the right people with the right info. And we've just yeah. done that, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Colin. Thank you. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.